Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Joining me as usual on Tuesday, I would say as always, but Andrew Malcolm has been Goldberging the last couple of days, the last couple of weeks, but but he is the prince of Twitter, the regent of Red State, nonetheless, and he's back. He's back. Andrew's back. Great he's to have you back. back. Watch <laughs> out. And this time he means business. Yes, yeah. yeah it's just, you know, was it Gandhi too? He's back and he's pissed. Um, <laughs> naked gun, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sort of a naked gun. Nothing sort of to thing. see here, folks. Move along. Move along. <laughs> so you were gone for a couple of weeks. I know yeah. that you were. I know that you were actually keeping your eye on the news because I would see you tweet things out and retweet yeah. things. I'm thinking. Yeah. Andrew, you're on vacation, man. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just impossible not to. But, uh, uh, yeah, I was good to say sort of plugged in. I wasn't, I have to admit, Ed, I wasn't caring a lot, <laughs> I was, but I was reading a lot. <laughs> well, so, yeah. I, I mean, when you're on vacation, you're not supposed to it. care. Now we're back at it. We can settle all these important issues of the day. Well, we can, and and I have to tell you, first off, you were missed. I I mean, I miss my 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 week uh, my weekly talks with Andrew here on the podcast, um, but unfortunately, things kept percolating without you, and and we certainly missed your you know your rapier wit, shall we my say, pithy pithy comments, your yeah. pithy comments, and yeah. um, you know, there's been a, a number of crises that have unfolded since you've been out or that have kept unfolding. And one of which is the baby formula crisis. And you wrote about this in yeah. your VIP uh, column. I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about the um, uh, Biden's address to the nation last Thursday on, on oh. guns, which turned out to be a real backfire. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but first let's, let's talk about the baby formula stuff because I, you know, I think this, the baby formula press conference, I think was Wednesday afternoon. And Dwayne and I discussed it last Thursday in the podcast. It was a disaster. I mean, I don't even understand what the White House was trying to accomplish by putting Joe yeah. Biden live on a, in a on a conference call with a bunch of these CEOs who told them, um, "We knew it was going to be a problem in February. Your FDA knew it was going to be a problem in, in February. Your you know your HHS knew it was going to be a problem in February. We still don't know wh where you were at." And, and and Biden was saying, "Well, I didn't know about it until April." <laughs> yeah, and. Um... Who, oh, and uh, the uh, uh, Raimundo, she said she didn't know about it till April. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, that shows what a amateur advance operation he has. Right. Or maybe he doesn't have one. Uh, it looks that way. But uh, so somebody who's intelligent should have been talking in advance one by one to everybody who's going to be on the call and finding out what they were intending to say so that biden could say yes and that's a good point and and then add something of his own but no he didn't he's flying by the seat of his pants because the guy has no intellect and he is what the the major theme of the column was on sunday a reactive president he just reacts to things he doesn't there's no grand planning. There's no thinking ahead, anticipation, uh, which, you know, when I worked in government, it was state government. But when I worked in government, uh, the governor told me, um, you know, 75% of your job is, is avoiding potholes. Yeah. And, and that saves a lot of time and hassle. Also helps you get reelected. But 
if if you look like you know what you're doing, uh, people will will cut you some slack because they don't know as much as you do. But unfortunately, Joe doesn't know hardly anything about what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, and I think that you know we've we've talked about this before, and Afghanistan really broke this presidency oh. because it became it became very clear that Joe Biden had no idea what he's talking about, that he had no plan for dealing with with uh, with his decision to withdraw from Afghanistan. Uh, he contradicted himself, saying he would stick around to get all the Americans out, and there's 14,000 Americans left behind, not to mention tens of thousands of Afghan allies that he left behind. Um, and from that moment on, and I argued at the time, this is going to be a, this is going to be a... You did. Yeah, yep. yeah th this is going to trigger a confidence um, crisis with uh, Joe Biden, and it's it's continued for 10 months since then, and you can see yeah. it in the polling. It's just crashed, and you know, ABC, we can talk a little bit about the economy, I guess. ABC News has a poll out. Um, as we're speaking, it would have been Sunday, you know, t yesterday, but by the time this comes out, you know, two days ago, on the economy showing that 80% of its respondents think that inflation is the priority issue for the election. And Joe yeah. Biden only gets 28% on dealing with the <laughs> with the economy. 83% say inflation, by the way. Um but uh, 80% say the, oh, actually 80% say inflation, 83% say the economy. And Joe Biden gets 28% approval rating on that. Why? Not because we have a nation of economists, right? No. It's, it's, it's because A, they're living through the result of his policies and B, it's clear he doesn't know what he's doing at he all. He doesn't have a clue. No, he doesn't. No contingencies. And as I said uh, a minute ago, no advanced planning, uh, no thinking things through. And what he did, when you mentioned Afghanistan, what he did was the general said, you need to keep 2,500 troops in Kabul or at Bagram uh, so that we can protect and secure an evacuation. But he wanted to get the full withdrawal, Amer all American troops are out. Um, so he had all the American troops out. Now, the generals in the Pentagon, they knew trouble was coming because they are they assembled in uh, the Middle East uh, 8,000 troops ready to go back in and so when the chaos erupted and everybody was stuck behind they were ready the military thank you for them uh, the military was ready to respond when the president said oh we need to send some people back in and of course being loyal servants they didn't say we told you so publicly but they did and he was such a klutz and of course afterwards he declared this was a grand success yeah we're, yeah george we're going to stay until everyone who wants out gets out but no and you're you were right at the time and you're right again now that he he doesn't know what he's doing and, uh, and it's obvious yeah, the perfect image of that is shaking hands with nobody. Uh, to me, that is, that is the uh, right. <laughs> I mean, that that's everything in a nutshell. The president of the United States pretending to shake hands with somebody that only he sees. I think it's Harvey. I think it was Harvey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All I, right. I just, so I mean, to get I back know. to take it back to the topic of your column, which was you know, um, clueless and proud of it on baby formula. 
I, I mean, th this to me was extremely avoidable. I mean, certainly there have been questions as to why Joe Biden oh, had, sure. had, hadn't responded to this. You know, they were trying to say, well, you know, we, 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 he found out about it in April and he responded right away. Well, the first even mention of a response didn't come until mid-May. And even then it was this lame website, right, with with a couple yeah. of phone numbers on it uh, that, where you it could call them. It really work. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you could call them up and ask them, hey, where's the where's the formula? And they would say, damned if we know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, you know, oh, Johnny on the spot. Remember that that was the website for the Obamacare was a complete disaster. Yeah. This pair is. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's ruinous. a good that's a very good point. So a week after that, they invoked the Defense Production Act. Which, by the way, they just invoked again today for a completely different reason. But the Defense Production Act to order more manufacturing of baby formula, when the issue isn't that the producers don't want to don't want to make it, the issue is a the FDA shut down one of the facilities that that made it. They're, the there's big one. The a big, big one. one, the Abbott one, and b the federal government prohibits um, uh, the importation of baby formula made in Europe. Not because it's unsafe; they know it's safe. It's that the, the, it doesn't have one, there's one data point not listed on the, on the label and the FDA won't allow that to be sold here uh, without that data point. Uh, it's some arcane data point on the label. It's, it's not even a safety issue. It's just a labeling issue. And we've got tariffs on Canadian stuff, which by the way, those tariffs came from the USMCA. That was a trade agreement negotiated by the Trump administration. But if you're really on top of this, why aren't you waiving those tariffs? Why aren't you telling the FDA yeah, exactly. to, to, to waive the labeling requirements and yeah, allow those people to sell here? Screw the label. Get this stuff in. Right. So so what he's done, and, and the plant just opened this weekend, the big one. It did, yes. Uh, and, um, and Biden announced today, which is Monday, um, that another 1.6 million eight-ounce formula bottles are coming in to... Um, Texas um, in the next few days from Nestle in Germany. So, the, and he's bragging that over 8 million of these equivalents have been brought in. You know what that is, Ed? The United States, for the first time in its modern history, is getting foreign aid from Europe. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Hello. And there's no there's no of our watchdog pr media press corps, which is um, got all these constitutional protections is not on the ball. I say, well, wait a minute. We are accepting foreign aid like a poor country because you screwed everything up. Right. I mean, I mean, it's not even if you lower the tariffs, if you if you remove the um, at least temporarily remove the labeling requirements it wouldn't be aid they'd just be entering the marketplace right yeah. and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that but I, I suspect that there's there's one of the one of the issues behind that might be the fact and i don't mean to be too conspiratorial here but if <laughs> but if you if you if you do that then the sales here are imports and uh the imports would count against gdp <laughs> because Exports count towards GDP, uh, imports count against GDP. And that's actually what happened in the first quarter of this year is, you know, consumer spending was okay. It was, I think, the, the last estimate, I, I think, from Q1 was like 
a 3.1% increase over the previous quarter annualized, you know, which is a decent level. Um, but the, the exports were like off by double digits and the imports were up by double digits, which is the reason why you ended up with a negative number on the GDP. And the more that you allow it to be imported when you're not producing domestically, the, yeah. the worse your GDP number is going to look. And I'm wondering, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I'm wondering if that's what one of the issues is with just, you know, waiving the, the tariffs. But I'm not um, sure I, I, I but I'm not sure I can credit this White House with thinking that strategically. <laughs> I'm not yeah, sure I'm not sure anybody in that White House would actually have the brain cells to put that calculation together in the first place. I, yeah. They may just be dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, they're laughing out of pain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh you know, the incompetence builds up by the day, almost daily. There's a new example of it, and nothing happens. Nothing, no, nobody moves to do anything about it. Um, he doesn't apologize. Uh, it's, uh, yep. it's, it's, and, and, you know, I, I was just talking with somebody on Twitter yesterday, and, and we were discussing that. Uh, this could be the plan of Biden's handlers, whomever they are, in the White House behind the scenes, that they want people to go, oh, that's just Joe, that we get so used to uh, clumsiness and screw ups that um, we just kiss it off and go, oh, that's another one. But someday, someday in the whatever it is, 900 days left in his administration, it's going to be a serious deal. You know? yep. I mean, he's sending more javelins over, which it takes two years to gear up and make more javelins to uh, uh, for our own guys. So he's, uh, well, before the latest shipment, Biden has sent over two th or one third of our javelin supply. Yep. Uh, now, we're not in an active war. On the other hand, he sent the 82nd Airborne to Poland because he thought there might be one. So uh, once again, he's behind the, he's behind the curve. Uh, Afghanistan, uh, remember the great celebration, mission accomplished last July 4th for, well, we beat COVID, except as you pointed out at the time, here comes Delta. So right. uh, Supply supply chain crisis in the fall. He had two photo ops and then declared it was fixed. Yep. But it's not. It's nope. not. I just walked by the shelves in Walmart today. There's a whole bunch of shelves empty. You can't get a lot of stuff. And the inflation. I mean, that's just my son, who's in the military, uh, buys a lot of his groceries at Sam's Club. And um he went and what a usual shopping trip that usually cost as much as 120 yesterday was 170. Yeah. Same, same stuff. Yep. Uh, and uh, I'm on a fixed income, uh, but so are people on salary. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can't go in and say, oh, well, everything costs more. Can't well, do it. Well, you can, but yeah, <laughs> good, good luck right. with you. Good luck with you on that one. You can actually do <laughs> you that. Can try, but you yeah. can try, but yeah. Um, look, I mean, I, I mean, yeah. It's just, um, 
I, I have a, um, I haven't voiced it yet, but I have an editorial piece coming up for Town Hall that uh, talks about the fact that inflation's always a regressive tax. And yeah. Joe Biden has done more to widen economic gaps than any president in the last 40 years. Um, wow. And, and out of just, complete economic incompetence. Complete incompetence. Completely, And he just blithely skates right by it. And nobody blows a whistle on him. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. if they did, I don't know whether he'd understand it. But uh, no, <laughs> remember, no. Well, remember when Peter Ducey asked him about how his people gave him three examples of how his people were walking stuff back, and Biden looked at him in the camera and just said, "It didn't happen." Yeah, it's on videotape. What do you mean it didn't happen? And that he just walks away. He it just he, you get away with it. There's no outcry. There's nothing. Are you leaving, Ed? I am not leaving. I, I got a sudden phone call, but uh, I, I will I will have to discuss it with the person afterwards. So, because nothing stops nothing stops the Tuesday <laughs> nothing podcast. Nothing stops uh, this, right? Nothing That's stops right. this. You can't I'm stop outraged, the signal. Ed. I'm outraged, and everybody should be outraged that this podcast was interrupted by an unscheduled phone call. Once again, you're not prepared. I am not prepared. I I, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm just as reactive as Joe Biden when the phone rings. It's, just, uh, it's, like, it's almost like a yeah, whoop. Just uh, turn I that head. Whoop. I don't think so. <laughs> All yeah. right. Uh, I want to ask you about something else. Now y- you've you've been you've been gone for a bit. You know, you're my go-to guy when it comes to the media stuff. Have you been watching what's been going on with the Washington Post over Dave Weigel's retweet of a stupid joke? Wasn't that something? You know, they suspended him today. Apparently for a month. <laughs> they suspended him? They suspended Dave Weigel for a month. Oliver Darcy from CNN is reporting on this. Dave Weigel, or excuse me, Washington Post has suspended Dave Weigel without pay for his retweet of a sexist joke. When emailed for comment, an out-of-office message said that he will return on July fifth. Now, now it was a it was a bad joke. I mean, it was in poor taste, and I mean, I, I'll I'll tell you what the joke was. I, I, I'm sure that people are going to be outraged that I even that I even uh, am, am mouthing this joke. Um, but you have to understand what the context of this is. It's not, you know. It, it wasn't the end of the world. It was a tasteless joke. It said all women are bi. You just have to figure out whether it's polar or sexual, which is stupid. It's a stupid joke. It's not even really that funny. And he retweeted it. He didn't write the joke. He didn't push it out. He just, I mean, he, he retweeted that that was it. And then he deleted it because apparently, or at least he, he undid the retweet because apparently he thought better of it. And then his colleagues started calling him out on it on Twitter over it. Felicia Sanchez is is the first one to do this, and then the whole Washington Post. It seems like the whole, the whole, you know, the whole squad was on Twitter, going to war with each other over this. And he already apologized. He undid the retweet. He'd apologized for it. I know Dave a little. Uh, you know, I, I've 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 met him at the conferences, and we've chatted from time to time. And you know, he's he's a center left kind of guy. He's not he's. He's not a caveman, right? He's kind yeah, of yeah. a little bit far away from it. Then he's a younger guy. I don't know how what his age actually is. He's younger than I am, which means that, of course, everybody, everybody's, everybody everybody's younger than me. Yeah, yeah, not me, but everybody else. Everybody else other than you is younger than me. So maybe that doesn't count for anything. But he's not a bad guy, you know. He's he's a very mild guy. He's a very mild mannered guy. He's he's 
on Twitter, he's a lot more um, um, snarky, I think, than he is in real life. And just like everybody else, sometimes I get you in trouble. Gets me in trouble from time to time. Gets everybody in trouble from time to time. It's hardly a canceling offense to have simply oh. retweeted and then un undo the retweet of a really stupid joke. And, um, oh. I mean... That's where we are today, is everybody is outraged by anything. And it's, uh, I mean, life is too short for that, I'm afraid. Uh, so... I mean, it really is. I mean, I don't even understand why the... And this is sort of a, of a piece of what happened at Ilya Shapiro, right? At Georgetown Law. I don't know if you caught up with that this morning. And the, uh, and the op-ed people at the New York Times, James Bennett and... Yeah. And those last year when they, or was it last year, or the year before when they published Tom Cotton's op-ed? A couple of years ago. Yeah, it was two years ago. That's right. When he suggested the army might be brought in, which, okay, a Democrat is not going to do what a Republican suggested, but uh, that's not the end of the world. And Bennett and um, his uh, helper, who was supposed to diversify the opinion on the page, who's, who was now on Substack, her name escapes me at the moment. But um, oh, uh, Barry Weiss. Yeah, Barry Weiss. That uh, so they they were diversifying the content, and turns out I used to work for uh, Dean Becay. Uh, they were, you know, they didn't like it, but they weren't all that outraged about it. Except the staff blew up. Yeah. And drove and drove the editors um, to get to get them fired, which sounds like what's happening on the uh, on the Washington Post, except it's suspension instead of firing. Well, it, it's suspension for now. I mean, honestly, I mean, it, it, is a suspension enough? You know, if uh, you know, is he still going to be yeah. problematic when he returns? I mean, this is. Yeah, I mean, I think the stuff at the New York Times is 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 a, is a great analogy for this because they chased off the. And they chased off an op-ed editor who made the career mistake of, of allowing a United a sitting United States senator to publish his opinion in the pages. I mean, honestly, I would actually allow, you know, I, I'd actually encourage Tom Cotton to to post an op-ed with us. We've done it before. We've had we've had sitting uh, House members and senators do guest posts. It's really the only it's really the only um, context in which we allow guest posts is is to allow you know for. Yeah for sitting office holders to do that. Um, I mean, that's that's just advancing the debate, but here's the, the issue isn't, it's no longer advancing the debate. And this is why I want to tie it back to what's happening with what happened to Ilya Shapiro at yeah. Georgetown Law, right? And Ilya Shapiro, also a tweet, right? This is before he started working at, uh, at Georgetown Law, um, tweeted something about Katanji Brown Jackson, which he admitted was was crafted inartfully. And he deleted it and apologized for it, right? Um, after that, and after he was hired at Georgetown Law, uh, the screen cap of that was passed around campus and people on campus started screaming about how it's gonna, he's gonna have a, he's gonna create a hostile environment at, at Georgetown Law and he has to be drummed out. And Georgetown Law does this months long investigation of a tweet that was written before they even offered him the job, right? Which it was tweeted and deleted before they even offered him the job. And yeah. they finally came to the conclusion last week, I think it was, that he tweeted it before he came on the job, so it wasn't really under their jurisdiction. 
which was stupid enough. But then apparently they told him, if you do something like that while you're here, you know, then then you're going to have problems. And that's the reason why Shapiro quit today. Said, take this job and shove it. You know, you're basically setting up a heckler's veto in which anybody who's offended by anything dictates all the outcomes. And you can't no, have that right. is that is not and, free speech. And it's guaranteed that there will be. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, yeah, because they're encouraging it. They're they're actively encouraging that. The Washington yeah. Post is actively encouraging this. The New York Times editors are actively encouraging this kind of crap, and they're getting it. Yeah. Oh. The only way that this is going to get undone, I think, is market forces. Yeah. Uh, New York Times is having a really good uh, a really good year with uh, subscriptions, online subscriptions, anyway. Um, I don't know about the Washington Post, but. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I think Netflix had the right attitude towards this. You know, yeah. for a while they were tolerating this nonsense from from their um, employees. And then what was it was a couple of weeks ago they oh. signed up Dave Chappelle for some more um, for some more specials and um, and 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 said, here's the thing. We're, we're, we're in favor of free speech. If you don't seem to like that, you can find someplace else to work. Now, they put it in much nicer terms, right? But yeah, basically... You're, you're free. free speech. If you don't like free speech, you're free to go somewhere else. Right. You're free to work someplace else that will fit you, that will fit your, your worldview much better. But we're going to do free speech here. And I am, I am astounded that the Washington Post and the New York Times and now Georgetown Law all of whom operate in some form or another in the free speech realm, either academic free speech or yeah, free speech yeah. in the media, all keep caving on this point. They still haven't learned this lesson that you can't that editors exist to make sure that you don't that stuff like this doesn't happen. I mean, God forbid I ever become managing editor of any of those publications because uh, I think half the staff would quit and I'd fire the other half. Yeah. I I don't. I don't understand. Uh, it seems like so much of what's going on in the country today is upside down. And there's really no explanation for it if you're not woke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, is a, which to me is a glass premise that, you know, jumping up and down on a glass premise, it, it's going to collapse at some point. Uh, but, uh, making major decisions, career decisions, and and it's so embarrassing for i think majority of americans they're not they're never going to subscribe to the washington post but uh it certainly hurts their image and their image was pretty strong after watergate yeah yeah and it, because of the reporting that they did although yeah. there was a really good there was a really interesting article i read i think it was over the weekend about how the Washington Post sort of overpromotes their their role in this, and there was actually a lot of really good reporting, much of which came from other newspapers, including the New York Times, which sort yeah. of started eating their lunch before they reassigned it back to uh, the Post. The Post decided to put uh, Woodward and Bernstein back on the case because they'd been assigned off of it to other things. I'd forgotten that part, but I do recall the panic. On the on the New York Times every night when they would get the first edition of the Washington Post to see how they'd been snockered that day, uh, and then they were running around for the second edition to try to get a matcher for it, a matching story. Yep. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's... So, yes, I mean, and that happens. That's just, you know, editors make decisions about priorities and sometimes it doesn't work out. I mean, I, I... under the circumstances, but they, but at the they time. still stay editors. <laughs> yeah, everybody fails upwards now. Everybody fails yeah, upwards. That's right. That's right. Including the well, idiots the at the Washington Times Post. Changing, New York Times is changing editors, not because of any scandal that I know of. Uh, this in the middle of this month. Yep, that's Bringing true. A new guy in. I have to say, I worked for Dean Becquet for some years, and he was an excellent boss and had very good eye sound journalism suggestions for me of what i might cover and and uh uh then he'd leave me alone he'd give me the assignment and then goodbye uh, you know i yep. so i don't understand uh and i'm not sure it's worth trying to understand but i don't understand how 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 he uh got so bullied by by the staff but i guess that's a measure of how uh toxic the woke work environment has become i think so and i think the washington post is putting it on display i mean this thing's been it's been a tantrum on social media for several days now and this is certainly not going to help them look any smarter um and frankly you know dave's a pretty good reporter and i think sidelining him is cutting off their nose to spite their face but you know hey um but you gotta you gotta buy but you gotta buy the angry people off somehow and as we're as we're as we're discussing this i i have to (laughs) say this um red steez whose name is stephen miller not the same stephen miller that was in the trump white house but red steez who's pretty well known on twitter uh retweeted out or not didn't retweet he actually rewrote the joke that got dave weigel um suspended um (laughs) i I am i am not gonna fall for that one i'm not retweeting that but uh because i still think that i still think it's a stupid joke but it's very clearly he's he's looking he's he's being provocative we'll let him be provocative provocative. yeah right exactly so uh and um uh ag hamilton 29 who is a uh, a well-known commenter says leaking emails from your boss okay publicly smearing colleagues is sexist okay getting others to harass colleagues okay filing baseless lawsuits against your employer okay lying about contacting subjects for an article okay retweeting a silly joke suspension (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so painful it is it is so painful it is so bad they spent what two days correcting that taylor lorenz article on um where she claimed to have reached out to comment you know for comment from a couple of um you know internet um commentators and she never did and they've spent two days they spent two or three days trying to recraft and recraft a correction to that article and she's still employed even though she materially misrepresented what she was doing in that article not for the first time by the way um but dave weigel gets a month off or two weeks off whatever it is because without pay because he RT'd a stupid joke. Yeah, I guess they don't. I guess, you know, in terms of stupid jokes, the Washington Post really just doesn't want the competition. They just think, well, remember, Ed, <laughs> democracy dies in darkness. Oh, wait. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, we're, we're actually past the end of our half hour, and I still haven't gotten the jokes of the day. Now, well, you can't include I'm the gonna... Washington Post because we've already covered the Washington Post. Okay, I'm just going to tell right, you that right, right now. All right. Well, I got a uh, Leno. These are all old ones. Okay. Uh, because I'm not getting the new ones. 
But uh, Leno replay, President Obama met with Queen Elizabeth in London, and she suggested returning to pre-1776 borders. <laughs> <laughs> that was timely at the time. Uh, and uh, you remember when uh, President went to Colombia? Uh, I've forgotten which president this was, but um, so Jay Leno replay. He says, four of the Secret Service agents fired over the Colombian sex scandal say they did not know the women they took to their hotel rooms were prostitutes. <laughs> really? Guys who watch crowds for a living. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Obama. I mean, and I mean, it's no reflection on Obama because I, you know this is this is the Secret Service's problem, not Obama's problem. But I believe I believe it was President Obama uh, who was visiting Colombia when that uh, when because I think yeah, I was I writing at I think I was writing for Hot Air at the time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was and, embarrassing. Uh, yeah, and finally, uh, Jay Letterman. He says uh, replay. He says the guy who invented the TV remote died this weekend. And with him went the secret of what the hell the SAP button is for. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm so old. I remember when the remote control was you attached to a attached to a big thick cable that went to the back end of a television, and you oh. press these buttons, and it went cha chunk, cha chunk, cha chunk, cha chunk, yeah, cha chunk. Yeah, I remember when the t when the TV remote was me. Okay, go change yeah. it to channel yeah. four. Yeah, I was I was my I was my dad's uh, remote control. Yeah, for quite a while, I was my dad's remote control. Yeah, but uh, that was my great grandparents. They had this television. They had this really marvelous remote control. And every time I was over there, I'd want to play with it. And and my yeah. great I, I I don't have too many memories of my of my great grandfather. But the one I do is him is him basically tolerating me playing with this. Remote control. <laughs> was a toy. Switching back and forth. I'm sure. I'm sure he was going. You know, he's he's you know he's Italian, so I'm sure he was muttering <laughs> yeah. something under his breath in Italian while his great grandson was was doing oh, that. But funny. God, well, God bless well, him. The first thing we got the TV late. Well, first of all, I remember part of a childhood without TV, uh, and uh, then when the TV came, I had uh, rules, and that was I couldn't watch until five thirty. So I had to play yeah. outside with people until 5.30, which coincidentally was when Howdy Doody came on. And years later, I got excited because I was interviewing Buffalo Bob. How about that? That's, yeah, the, that's kind of cool, the actually. First TV, the first TV we had was 12-inch Dumont. It was about this oh, yeah. big. Yeah, and the test pattern and the national anthem at the beginning and the end of the day. Yep. I tell you what. Yeah, yeah, my my parents used to tell me to go outside and play in the street too, and that not to accept a ride home from a stranger unless they offered me candy first. So you know, <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about my. No, that's not true. I'm I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm please don't suspend me like Dave Weigel. Yeah, uh, for, you over play outside, joke. and you have to come in when the street lights come on. Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. Or or when the or when the neighbor uh, the neighbor lady starts screaming down the block for her kids. Well, and yeah, and the, and in those days, everybody was a parent. Right. You know, I mean, if we were playing tag or capture the flag or something and running through everybody's yards, uh, someone would come out and say, stop that. And we had to obey them. You know, if somebody did that today, you know, some angry father would go, there, what are you doing telling my son that it, it's uh, things have changed. Things have indeed changed. But you know what doesn't change? Andrew's here every Tuesday, except when he's yep. gold bricking. Except when I'm, yeah, I'm knocking when... off. 
Yeah. You're gold bricking. Andrew's here every Tuesday. The Prince of Twitter at AH Malcolm on Twitter. The Regent of Red State, redstate.com. <laughs> Go check that out. Andrew, thanks so much for being here. We'll talk to you again next week. Okay, Ed. Thank you. And thanks, everybody. We'll see you then. We'll see you then. And stay tuned for more from The Ed Morrissey Show. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. The rich may not be getting much richer in this massive inflationary wave, but the working class is most certainly getting poorer. The Associated Press and The Washington Post have both acknowledged that Joe Biden's inflation has created an economy of haves and have-nots. While the White House continues to spin consumer spending statistics, the spending patterns show increasing stratification. Wealthy households have continued to spend on luxuries, but working-class Americans have been forced to look for cheaper alternatives to staples in food and clothing, or go without. Big-box retailers have had to recalculate their projections, as low-income households suffer most from the erosion of their buying power. We already knew that higher inflation levels act as a regressive tax. The latest economic data demonstrate that effect, and it also delivers a warning. The middle class is next and in fact is already starting to adjust purchasing decisions in light of higher prices. Joe Biden has done more to widen economic gaps than any president in the last 40 years. I'm Ed Morrissey. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast edition. Joining me, my friend Brent Attaway, who is the lead attorney on the mask mandate challenge in California, excuse me, in Florida, I should say, Florida. I might talk about California in a second, but Brent, but he, <laughs> he is, um, he is uh, the lead attorney on the challenge out of Florida that knocked out the CDC's uh, travel mask mandate. Uh, we thought that that might just be dead, that the Biden administration might uh, say, you know, uh, you know, better to um, better to quit while you're behind. But apparently, <laughs> um, apparently they don't appreciate the joys of being behind They're They're they are challenging they're appealing that decision in Florida. Brant, uh, you were expecting this. I mean, we 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 talked about it at the time and you were saying, ah, no, come on, they're going to appeal. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, the uh, it, what's interesting is is that yeah they appealed but they didn't seek a stay of the trial court's ruling so so they they sort of get to have it both ways they don't have to take the political fallout of kind of yanking back the mask mandate and putting everybody back in masks because i i think once you saw all those videos go viral on twitter of people of all the happy faces of people taking off their masks that was kind of a rubicon that you know can't really can't be recrossed but uh yeah they're concerned about the institutional authority to do this or something like it in the future so that's what this appeal is about well there's really two tracks we can discuss with this and this is the reason why california might come up into the conversation is because california's thinking about reimposing some mask mandates at the state level and that's a different issue than what brant is arguing legally is a different issue um but but Substantively, it's the same problem, which is that mask mandates don't really work. Uh, David Leonhardt had a long piece, I think it was on Thursday or Friday of last week. I ended up quoting it again today, uh, which demonstrated that 
nobody, all the studies have shown that there's no outcome difference between, um, uh, I don't want to say municipalities, but, but uh, you know, governmental levels that required mask mandates and governments that didn't. And we've got plenty of data now on this. And mm -hmm. it's very clear that mask mandates don't have a statistically significant impact. In fact, there's some indications that uh, places that had mask mandates had actually higher levels of transmission than places that didn't. And there may be various different reasons for that. But clearly there was no, there was no substantive positive impact from having mask mandates. That's, that's the rational basis. And you're, I mean, that's part of, I'm sure, what's going to come up in the appeal too. But really your appeal, or excuse me, not your appeal, your lawsuit was actually based on the law as well as the, um, as well as the rational uh, outcomes of this. In fact, more so, I would, I would say. And on that, you're on solid ground too. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big problem for them because, you know, you can say, you know, you, you can come up with a study where they use mannequins uh, that had masks on and emitting, you know, spittle or whatever at each other. And you can say, well, a laboratory test shows that these masks trap the water droplets and therefore masks work. That's not a real world test. That doesn't measure how things work in the real world. It doesn't measure how people interact. And especially with the CDC mask mandate, you know, to say things, well, this appears to work on a micro level in the lab, uh, there's absolutely no evidence that it worked on a macro level uh, whatsoever. Uh, and one of the things we showed in the uh, the trial court below is we we simply pulled up the CDC's own statistics, its own data from its its uh, COVID tracker website, and showed how the waves went through all ten HHS uh, re regions uh, it w without regard to you know when the mandate was instituted. And uh, so there, there's just no data out there to show that this actually works on uh, on a community level. Yeah, Brent, I mean, I'm sure you read Leonhardt's um, analysis on Thursday, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, it, it, it's not the first time he's written this. <laughs> I mean, no. You know, he's actually one of the better reporters on this. He And mm -hmm. I can't remember the uh, woman's name who's also a reporter at the New York Times who's, um, oh, um, a poor something. She's really good too. She's done a lot of really good yeah. work on this as well. Mm -hmm. You know, for people who complain about the New York Times, their editorial policies stink, and some of their news is is you know clearly you know tilted. But they but, mm -hmm. but there are people at the New York Times who actually do good work, and I would argue that Leonhardt's one of them. And yeah. um, mm -hmm. and 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 he was making the same the same exact point you were making, which was that yeah, they there's laboratory tests that show that masking works. As long as it's precise and exact, yeah, there's some yeah. evidence that masking will work. But there's no evidence that shows that in practice, when it's implemented as a mandate, that it does anything to impact transmission, hospital admissions, or deaths. And so that is, um, I, I mean, that speaks to that speaks to rational basis. Tell us a little bit about the law, though. And, and I think that this is the more important piece when it comes to the CDC. Right. Uh, well, again, this was a challenge under the Administrative Procedure Act. 
which allows you to, to challenge agency rulemaking on a number of grounds. And the three grounds we raised were lack of or in excess of statutory authority, first. Right. Second, uh, failure to allow notice and comment. And there was no rationale for not allowing notice and comment. And third was that the rule was arbitrary and capricious. Either it was unreasonable or not reasonably explained. So this was not like a, a scopes monkey trial on mask efficacy, but just simply to, to look at the internal reasoning of the CDC and to say it didn't make sense. Right. And this is a similar basis as to how the CDC's edicts on evictions got tossed. Now, that wasn't your case, but right. I mean, you, you certainly relied on the Supreme Court's decision in that case, which was to say mm -hmm. that this, that Congress didn't grant the CDC any statutory authority to issue uh, eviction moratoria, and they right. and they haven't done so. They, they haven't granted statutory authority for the CDC to uh, intervene in um, international or national and international travel either. And so Congress can certainly mm -hmm. grant them that statutory authority, but until they do, right. the CDC can't issue these uh, mask mandates. Right. And there's there's sort of a, you know, there's this under the statute that the CDC relied on, uh, you know, the um, the Supreme Court and the eviction moratorium case found that it was constrained by this sort of enumeration of provisions. And, and lower courts have said that that provision is really about property interests. It doesn't really give you give the CDC any license to regulate individual human conduct. Right. Uh, and, and so that's part of the issue, uh, not just, you know, there was a lot of ker big kerfuffle about the definition of the word sanitation and to the extent to which, uh, you know, it can be defined uh, to encompass preventative measures, which uh, the, the trial court found that it, it didn't seem to work based on the surrounding language. Uh, but it's, you know, beyond that, there there's the issue of, you know, what category of things or or people is the statute intended to govern? Because there is a completely different subsection that covers interstate and international quarantine. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, those powers are separately delineated in, in the statute and under the regulations. And there's just uh, no no precedent for the CDC reaching out and, and regulating the conduct, conduct of tens of millions of individuals like this. Right. And, and again, that's what the, the district court in Florida found as well in, um, in, in joining the CDC's uh, mask mandate. Now, your client in this was um, Health Freedom Defense Fund, and we had Leslie Manukian on with you the last time. She couldn't make it this time, but I don't want to leave her out of the conversation, right? Because mm -hmm. she's, a, she's an integral part of, of this challenge. And um, you can find more by, about that, by the way, at Health excuse me healthfreedomdefense.org. So remember that, healthfreedomdefense.org. And uh, Leslie, we all say hi to you. Um, <laughs> sorry you couldn't make it today, but we'll get you on We'll get you on soon. Um, Send your regards. We do. And mm -hmm. um, look, I mean, I'm assuming, because you know, I, I remember when we spoke the last time, she was very enthusiastic about pursuing this all the way to the Supreme Court, if that's what was yeah. necessary. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming A, she's just as enthusiastic as the last time we spoke, and B, um, that that well, I guess I'll, I'll say A, but I'll ask B 
was she surprised that she's going to have to pursue this all the way to the Supreme Court? Because honestly, I am still a little surprised that the Biden administration isn't just uh, quitting while it's actually ahead because it doesn't have to enforce this very unpopular mandate any longer. Right. I, I mean, I mean, she's all she's ready to go. If we have to, oh, yeah. that's where we have to end up. I mean, that's where we'll end up. Uh, but we'll see. You know, there are no guarantees. The um, the Supreme Court's jurisdiction is is discretionary, as you know, right. and uh, they're not required to take up anything. Uh, so, you know, it, it's too early to say whether it's actually going to go that far, but it could. And if if it does, we're ready. Well, I think that it's very likely that you're going to prevail on appeal just because of the issues with the eviction moratoria and how closely this parallels that. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, just to walk everybody through that, one uh, Supreme Court just generally doesn't necessarily take up cases like this if A, it's already mostly ruled on the exact same issue and B, there isn't a, what's called a, you know, a circuit split where you have conflicting uh, resolutions in two different uh, districts. So mm -hmm. assuming that the appeals court hold, you know, upholds this, my guess, you know, upholds the original ruling, my guess is that, yeah, the White House will probably try to appeal it, but the Supreme Court might just say, eh, <laughs> been there, done that. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, they, 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 they might. And there are, you know, there's an additional issue that the administration is raising beyond the statutory interpretation and the the uh, APA issues and that is the scope of the relief that the trial court granted you know they're very uh, uh, let's say exercised <laughs> over <laughs> over that uh, you know and, and and they they liken it to a, a, a nationwide injunction which all I can say is well welcome to the club Democrats now now right. you're against nationwide injunctions okay uh, but this really doesn't easily fit into that category. I mean, this is, you have an Article Three court ruling on the legality of an agency rule. And once you sort of cross that Rubicon, uh, how do you, how do you come back? And, uh, you know, you know, what's the remedy for that, you know, once you've gone beyond? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. I think mm -hmm. that you if you have a state that's challenging some sort of agency rule and a district court rules for a state, I guess you can say that, you know, technically speaking, maybe that should only apply to a state unless other states join mm -hmm. in. And then, in, and then if it gets to an appeals court, then it's really only precedential for the, you know, for the um, uh, jurisdiction of that particular appeals court. But when you have a private organization challenging an, uh, an agency rule that's applied nationwide and, a federal judge rules that it it violates it, it violates the law and it's and exceeds the agency's jurisdiction. I mean, there's there's really no limiting factor on that. They 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 can't afford they can't enforce that anywhere once a judge has ruled on that. That's not even really a and this isn't really even a stay, right? I mean, this is this was a this was a ruling on the merits of this case. It, it was it was and we and and, and you know the other sort of thing that that's out there is is the government is now trying to say that the ruling the remedy should have been limited to the five individual plaintiffs that were before the court and not to the nationwide membership of health freedom defense fund and that is 
Well, that that that's an interesting conundrum for them, because you know the uh, the left has fought for organizational standing for decades, and has set numerous precedents on this. But okay, now you're going to say that organizations uh, don't have standing to uh, to seek relief on behalf of their members. Uh, what's the limiting principle there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a fascinating case for a lot of different mm -hmm. reasons, right? I mean, it's, it's just it, it just is, and mm -hmm. it's it's going to behoove us to stay tuned on this, and we're going to. But again, I, I'm I, I I know that you're the lead attorney on this, and so I you know we want to make sure that we get to all the legal points. But man, you're Brant Hathaway. You used to write this strange women lying in ponds <laughs> blog. I got to get to the politics. I got to get to the fun stuff here on this. <laughs> Right. I'm going to I'm going to make sure every time Brant comes on, I'm going to make sure that was a great blog. I love that. Blog. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, I, it's funny. I, I, I didn't renew the URL and somebody in India bought it. And uh, so it was. Oh, well, anyway. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, do, do you still have the archives? No, I just, uh, that's you know, bad. I, uh, you know, I, I didn't. Well, I was trying to focus on my legal career and I just realized I didn't have the energy for it, but you know, I, I kind of regret it, but you no, know, that's all right. maybe, maybe I'll get back to it. it. It lives on in our memory. And if you do get back to it even more, so even more, the better, yeah. but, but to get to the politics of this, I mean, yes, California is having a primary tomorrow right mm -hmm. and in california it's an open primary they don't have party primaries it's one primary for for everybody and just the top two finishers go on to the general election except if one person in the primary gets more than 50 percent plus one vote then mm -hmm. they just went out right so right. over the weekend just as you know and, and there's been early voting going on in california by the way for at least a couple of weeks so i mean a lot of people have already voted on this by this time but I mean, Tuesday is the in-person, the big in-person uh, voting day. If you haven't done it by mail, you can go to a, you know, you can go to a, um, a voting station and cast your ballot in person. Mm -hmm. Just a few days before this, California let it be known that they're thinking about reimposing a bunch of mask mandates up and down the state because hospital admissions are going way up and transmissions going way up. And at the same time, I'm reading over in the Hill that people really don't care. You know, right. they've, got, they've been vaccinated. There's therapeutics. They, they've been exposed to this probably multiple times in various different ways. And right. people are just ready to just live their lives without having these, you know, extraordinary government interventions. Now, with it being said that a state level mask mandate is a different kettle of fish than a CDC imposed uh, mask mandate on travel. And it is. It just is. Mm -hmm. there, there's more legal room for states to do that especially if they're working with legislatures mm -hmm. i mean how stupid is it politically speaking for california's leadership to be pressing in again on a mask mandate uh and i'll get to the data on that in just a second but mm -hmm. it, just in just in principle how stupid is it to do that at the same time where people around the country are sick and tired of this i'm assuming in california which had mask mandates for a lot longer than a lot of other places did yeah, I mean, that's what you get in a, a state with one party rule. Yeah. And they, they've had one party rule there for so long that they, you know, there there's no real pushback on on so many things. And, and you know, not just this, uh, 
I've been, I have another case uh, that's actually against the Los Angeles Unified School District. And I was looking to schedule some depositions and uh, the lead attorney for LAUSD said, oh, uh, I don't suppose you and your clients would be willing to wear masks, would you? And I said, does LA have and still have a mask mandate? I mean, I, it's thing that's been over here for a long time. Well, our, our law office does. You know, but, but yeah, I mean, the first point you make about people are so over it. I mean, if you look at, you know, if you look at the data on clinical outcomes, it's a very different situation from what it was, you know, two years ago, even a year and a half ago. Uh, I mean, so many people have been exposed and, and the symptoms are mild and uh, ICU admissions are, are still relatively low. And, and there are very few hospitals or health systems that are actually telling us, you know, how many of these hospitalizations are people with COVID and without COVID. Uh, I think during the Omicron wave, one of the major hospitals here in Miami-Dade County was reporting that every day. And it was between 60 and 65% of all of the, the hospitalizations were incidental cases. They're just people who had been admitted for something else and they tested positive for COVID. Uh, this, so, yeah. yeah, this was part of my point today. First off, you know, the, the LA Times is saying, well, they're ramping it up because hospital admissions are really increasing rapidly. Mm-hmm. It, well, if you take a look at the CDC's own data on this, because you can break it out by state, hospital mm-hmm. admissions, you have to dig around a bit, but you can find it mm-hmm. and you can find the historical data on it. It's at... Um, Seven-day rolling average of 345 hospital admissions a day of people who have COVID diagnoses. Now, that's correlative because the CDC mm-hmm. still does not require hospitals to uh, hospitals or or county officials to report causative admissions or deaths. Right. Yeah. So, when you have a when you have a variant as transmissible as Omicron and the you know subvariants of Omicron. It's going to spread rapidly, so there's going to be a lot of people going mm-hmm. into the hospital who are have been exposed to it and can be diagnosed with it, but it has nothing mm-hmm. to do with their hospital admission, and, and it also right. has nothing to do with their death. And even with that, even if you want to just say, "Well, okay, we're going to compare apples to apples," we got to go correlative because we've been going correlative all along. That's fine and dandy, except it's only still about one eighth of the peak that we had in January. And even then in California, I mean, I'm just talking about California, although that was mm-hmm. nationwide as well. Even then in California, nobody was saying that ICUs were running out of resources, that hospitals were running out of resources. Why? Because most of those, the hospitals weren't treating COVID-19. They were treating other, other, other symptoms. These are people who would have been mm-hmm. hospitalized anyway, or people who would have died yeah. anyway. And so you get, you come back around again to the idea that you've got bad data <laughs> on admissions, you've got bad data on deaths, you probably got good data on cases, except that it's probably underestimating it because people who don't have symptoms aren't getting themselves tested. And that's also right. another reason why you don't really need to worry about this too much. You've yeah. got vaccines, you've got therapeutics, you have very few bad outcomes from this any longer. And yet you mm-hmm. still have governments, including the federal government, including the CDC, that are insisting that they have to keep the power to enforce mask mandates in order to manage a public health crisis that honestly really appears to have largely passed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the, part of the political dynamic that's at work here is just the 
the mindset of of the bureaucratic the sort of bureaucratic mindset which is to be so focused on a single data point uh you know covid cases hospitalizations and and and, and deaths that's three data points but within a within the the sort of rubric of, of just looking at covid to the exclusion of everything else and that's that's a terrible mistake that's been made from the very beginning of this pandemic is that the obsession and and i and i think it's appealing to a sort of a, a neurotic uh sort of undercurrent in our current politics uh to uh to to focus on this data to the exclusion of every other uh thing that goes into a person's well-being uh health-wise mental-wise and, and fulfillment-wise these are all things that that do affect public health but you know the the fact that they've been neglected or outright ignored or or you know is, is something we're going to be paying for for a long time well and the other thing too is that it also ignores something that david leonhardt points out which is that if you really want to be if you if you really want to be doing something to protect yourself you can just wear a mask on your own because the same studies that show that double masking works in terms of you know two parties having masks on so that you can get the same benefit if only one party has a mask on as long as they're wearing it correctly and they're wearing the correct mask you don't have to have everybody else masked up so if you want to fly with a mask on nobody's telling you you can't right exactly and, and if you're you know if you're that worried about your health you should really be talking to your doctor before traveling anyway I mean, that's that's something i would do just you know my i know people who are immunocompromised they they've always yeah. had you know that concern in the background and so you know they they are really cautious about traveling uh but that's just you know that's something you should be doing anyway well and my wife is immunocompromised we've talked about this quite a bit she right. hates wearing a mask on the airplanes right you know and mm -hmm. she says I, I i might do it maybe you know if it was my choice but i i hate being told i've got to do it and <laughs> and you know we've we came down to texas about a year ago almost exactly a year ago now from minnesota where they still had some mask mandates in place and you know there's still some places here you know where the private owners of the property require masks mostly now just uh you know health um providers and <laughs> where I, i'm probably more likely to want to wear a mask anyway just because i don't know who else is in the waiting room and i'm not really worried about covid as much as i might be worried about some other things um but um I mean, it was it was very open down here. It was very relaxed. Um, I'd say a year ago, I'd say 30 to 40 percent of the people wearing masks anyway, even without mm -hmm. and, and nobody's hassling them. If you want to wear a mask, great. It's down to probably like five to 10 percent now. But you still see people wearing masks down here. And um, and everybody seems to be just just fine with that. Yeah. The saddest thing I see here in the South Florida heat are those people who are out on the street on the sidewalk all by themselves no. wearing a mask or a double mask and uh and, and, and you know the thing I, that occurs to me is that that's a person who has either been so frightened into a sort of irrational behavior uh or it, it's just pure virtue signaling uh, you yeah. know it, there is absolutely zero rationality to it uh but that's sort of part of the problem we've had with all of this is that you suddenly you're suddenly telling 
you know, the whole population to start wearing, using medical devices that they have no training in, and they have no real guidance on what works and what doesn't and why it works and why it doesn't and what circumstances it, it can work, you know, even assuming that a, a mask can protect you from uh, uh, viral particles, and that's a highly controversial proposition itself. Uh, you, you know, there, there's so many wild card factors out there in terms of the, of just the way people behave and that, uh, you know, that's part of the big problem with these mandates. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think it's one of the things that we're going to be looking at too. And in, in terms of, I, I'm going to be curious to see if on appeal, the courts actually delve into the substantive issues on this or whether they're going to, whether they're just going to say, look, I mean, we can settle this based on based on the fact that the CDC simply doesn't have the statutory, and we don't want to get into the rest of this. We're just going to sell it on basis of the statute, and that's it. You'll be fine with that if that's the way, if that's what they do, of course, Brant. But yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I think there was there was another thing that the court didn't, the trial court didn't touch on, but it's it's a legal issue that we intend to emphasize as well is that the CDC didn't even follow its own internal regulations. When it instituted this mandate, uh, which the 11th Circuit has said in the past, if an agency doesn't adhere to its own regulations and promulgating a rule, it has to be stricken down as arbitrary and capricious. Yep. So that will definitely be something to keep an eye on as well. You know, right. um, we've uh, we've probably abused your time long enough here, Brant. But uh, what can where can people go to to find out more to help out? You know, whatever whatever they can do. I'm, I'm not sure if you've got anything set up for that. But I know yeah. you go to health healthfreedomdefense.org is one place to go. Is there any oh, other place? Uh, well, I, I don't have a Venmo set up, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, healthfreedomdefense.org, if you want to make a contribution uh, to the effort, that's where you want to go. Uh, if you want to learn more about, uh, you know, uh, you know the cases, you can browse the page. There, there are links to uh, the cases we're working on and, and, this particular ruling you can find uh and uh you know it, if you want to follow the case on twitter you can just look me up brant hadaway is my handle on twitter and you know i'll be reporting on developments i want i don't publicly comment on uh works in progress so i'm not gonna make any public comments on the uh on, on the government's briefs or any of the amicus briefs that are coming in uh until we have a ruling uh, but I'll, I'll be, you know, generally keep keeping people updated on, on what's going on. Well, I hope you'll be coming back here and keeping us updated on what's going on, Brent, because it's a fascinating case. And we we are certainly interested in seeing this one all the way through. Brent Hadaway, what's your what's your law firm again? Uh, the Davalier Law Group. That's Davalier, Davalier D-A-V-I-L-L-I-E-R Law Group dot com. Uh, I'm uh, of counsel with them, and uh, they're based out of New Orleans, funny enough, and, uh, and uh, I'm sort of their Miami outpost. Well, that's not a bad outpost to, ha outpost to have, no, right? I mean, it could be, <laughs> could be Anchorage. <laughs> yeah, it could be Anchorage, except, oh man, if you've been here on Saturday, oof. <laughs> this, is a, this is the time of year when it's just, well... Yeah, uh, we're we're in the hundreds here this this week in Central Texas. So, uh, and we'll be the and we'll be there for probably the next six to eight weeks. It's a little drier here though than it is in Miami. Yeah. So you know, it's a, yeah. a little bit different. Indeed, indeed. 
Well, it, it's always a pleasure talking to you, man. Well, thanks, Brent. Brent Hadaway, thanks so much for being with us. Stay tuned for more coming up from The Ed Morrissey Show. Thanks for tuning in to The Ed Morrissey Show Podcast Edition. If you like what you saw, be sure to subscribe at each of the different platforms. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Rumble, we're on YouTube. And we're at the Town Hall Media Player, so be sure to subscribe. Subscriptions are important. Really do appreciate that. It's free. Uh, be sure to like the video if you like that as well. We want to get the word out as much as we possibly can. Really want to thank you for being with us. And while you're at it, if you're at any one of the Town Hall websites, especially hotair.com, be sure to subscribe to our VIP program or our VIP, VIP Gold program, which has uh, extra benefits for our subscribers. That is a paid subscription service, but that money goes to fund important uh, initiatives such as Julio Rosas's on-the-road journalism, first-person journalism, journalism you can trust from the border, from the unrest in cities, and all other sorts of things. We do all sorts of fun things with our VIP Gold uh, subscription members, including our VIP Gold chat that I do with Cam Edwards on Wednesday afternoons. Cam Edwards from BearingArms.com. Each of our sites have their own live chat editions and their own uh, streaming shows for VIP Gold members. So be sure to subscribe to the Hot Air uh, VIP, VIP Gold, which goes across the entire Town Hall media spectrum, and especially to the Ed Morrissey Show podcasts. We really appreciate it. Thank you for watching.